Our campus community is blessed with so many amazing people who embody BYU-Idaho's mission to develop disciples of Jesus Christ, who are leaders in their homes, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and in their communities. We want to introduce you to some of them and let you hear their stories. This is the BYU-Idaho Disciple Journeys podcast. I'm Isabella Salazar. My interview today is with Paula Dillingham, and this is Paula's Journey. I'm here with Paula Dillingham, a student studying recreational management with the plans to go into advocacy. She is a mother who has battled drug addiction as well as some health and mental illnesses. But through it all, she has found hope through the Lord. So first, Paula, can you tell me kind of when this all began um, with like the drug addiction? And, and and at the time, you weren't a member of the church, but Correct. you had you had a daughter or two daughters at the time? I had two daughters. Okay. Yeah. Kind of, can you tell me a bit about that. Okay. I was raised in an evangelical um, church growing up. It was non-denominational, so I'm, I'm not unaware of the Lord. And however, I had fallen away because of different situations that had happened in my life. I ended up having a child out of wedlock, and I had to take responsibility for her. I eventually married her father and had another child. Multiple years later, I was trying to have a day job and a nightlife and do everything I could. Her father and I have split, and so I was a single parent. I was introduced to methamphetamine, and unbeknownst to me at the time, well, I had realized that I did have mental illness. We thought we had bipolar. And so I ended up self-medicating. And for the first time in my life, when I used meth, I felt normal. Instead of highs and lows, I felt in the middle. Mm. I had self-confidence. I could talk to someone and be energetic and funny and witty and smiling all the time. Unfortunately, like other uh, drugs, it got out of hand. I used for a total of 10, 10 years. During that time, I saw a lot of chaos. However, I knew that God was with me because it could have been a lot worse. I Sometimes I would sleep in public parks during the summer or when I had a car with my car door open in a parking lot. God protected me. No one ever touched me. I was never sexually assaulted. I was never robbed. I was never beaten. Nothing like that ever, ever happened to me. I was never arrested. I was you know, put in the system. I was protected. I was a child of God, but I didn't want to believe it at first. I was still fighting it. Many years went by, and... I met the father of my current last child. This went on for about five years. And when I became pregnant, I was devastated. I did not want to be a mother. I did not want to be responsible for another life. I wanted I wanted to destroy myself, but not others. So I do not believe in abortion, so I did not go through with that. I kept my child. And this was your third child? This is my third child. Okay. My my first first two children, when I realized how deep into addiction that I was getting, 
I sent them off to the grandparents so they would have a safe environment to live in. So I took care of them before myself. So when they were safely tucked away with my parents, I went on a rampage and it was never ending cycle of chaos and self-regret and beating myself up because I knew what I was doing was wrong, but I didn't know how to stop because it was addiction is a disease, not a moral feeling. And so eventually when I met the father of my final child, it was a very tumultuous relationship. And when I found out I was pregnant with my son, I left his father and I struggled through the pregnancy once my son was born and they took him away because uh, he was born addicted. Mm. I could hear the cell doors slamming shut in my mind when the door to the hospital room shut after they took him out. At that point, I was involved with uh, CYFD, Children, Youth, and Families Department. They had temporary custody of my son. They, the judge ordered me to go to uh, a 12-step program for addiction, check in. They made hoops. They made jumps. And I wanted my son back. I wanted to prove that I could still be a good mother. So I jumped higher than they wanted me to. I created hoops to jump through to show them <laughs> This was real. And within nine months, God gave me full custody of my son back within nine months. And that is a miracle. It can take years for some people. Yeah. So once I had my son back, of course, we were um, doing all the medical tests to make sure that he was um, neurobiologically sound and did not have any kind of developmental delays. He checked out so proud of that but he did display mental health mental health symptoms i remember when i was a child how i would feel and i was seeing him do the same thing mental health is very prevalent in my family on both my parents side as well as uh, my son's father's side so he genetically was predisposed to having mental illness and addiction that also runs prevalent on on all of the family sides. I had him involved with uh, different doctors and counselors. And my son at the age of five was diagnosed with ADD and ODD. Mm-hmm. So I immediately started with an IEP for him at school, taking him to the different doctors to have everything checked out constantly, constantly doing maintenance to make sure that he would stay on the right path of health. Simultaneously, I started taking care of my own mental health. I am bipolar level one, rapid cycler. And due to the situations that I had put myself through, I had developed mild PTSD. However, physically at that time, all was well. So we were in this together, my son and I. I also went to the 12-step programs. Can you tell me a bit about the 12-step program and like how that was able to help? 
another God thing. God has a sense of humor. He really does. Um, you think you can fight and rail against what you want, what he wants you to do. And he just goes, hey, hey, hey. And <laughs> he makes a way for it to happen for our good. Mm-hmm. The 12-step program that I go to teaches us different principles like honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. And they teach us how to learn to have relationships like a friend, a trusted uh, sponsor, interactions with men and women, you know, in, in a proper way. They teach you how to clean up your side of the street and how you can do the next right thing. And I believe that if everybody could follow these types of 12-step rules and these principles in life, the entire world would be on better footing. Yeah. Did you know the church also has a 12-step program? It's called the Addiction Recovery Program, I think. It's ARP. And it, like, goes through a very similar thing, but they also use, like, scriptures Mm -hmm. as well. And I think they're a bit more open about it being God who's, you know, helping because I know that in 12-step programs, it's usually like a higher power that they refer we to. We call it a higher right? power okay. um, because that way it is open and inclusive to right. whatever you do. I've heard people say that they use the essence of the group as a higher power. As long as we believe in something, a power greater than ourselves, then that can help us. And the therapeutic value of one addict helping another and speaking with each other is without parallel. You can because you get it, you know, some people who have never been through the disease before don't understand. They think it's a moral failing when it's not. It is a chemical and biological disease, just like autoimmune diseases. It is genetic. So everybody who has it in their line can pass it on. It does not have to be activated, though. It's not the the disease of addiction is not only kept towards drugs and alcohol, though. It can be obsessive compulsive uses to over shop, to overeat, Mm -hmm. to gamble, to anything that is a mind altering, mood changing substance. Binge watching too much Netflix rather than doing your homework, anything like that. If it's a mind altering, mood changing substance of some sort, that is considered your active addiction taking over. And it causes a lot of issues sometimes unless you are aware of it and you actually work on it with a sponsor or someone who has had the experience, strength, and hope to help you go through it because mm-hmm. they've been there. They've done that and they get it. Yeah. So this group has really saved my life. And I believe that it all started with uh, a particular 12-step group that I believe angels had come down and shared this news with them and set them on the right path. And since then, it has bloomed. Um, Twelve-step groups of this nature are worldwide. There is no language barrier. You can always find help. So I got really involved with that 12-step group. It is a program of attraction rather than promotion. So we don't always go out and say, hey, you need to go here. You need to go there. Why don't you come join us? When we need to, we we will be there for you to find. All you have to do is ask. 
my hand is always out, which is so much like the Savior. His hand is always there. His hand is always waiting for you to grasp it. And sometimes he uses unconventional ways like 12-step groups to get you to hold his hand. So almost nine years went by and I was involved in this group. I still was not involved in a religious activity of any sort. I was still kind of fighting God at that point, but I did believe in a higher power. So in essence, sort of, um, and then COVID hit. A lot of people lost their support base. We had to all learn how to use Zoom and connect in different ways that the world has never seen before. It was a very shaky time. I was working um, through COVID at a grocery store doing the UPICs. And there's a nice elderly gentleman that was very friendly. And, um, you know, we chatted, we talked, we became workplace buddies. Situation happened about four, um, six months in that I had to leave that position in the in the workforce. And he offered, knowing that I was a single parent, he offered to babysit my son at any point in time and be an upstanding member, a male influence to him. Well, of course, I took that as uh, as another sign from God that I was getting help. However, Satan had other plans. Turned out that this person was a, a pedophile who was grooming my child. Unfortunately, as soon as I learned that fact and tried to get the police involved, the police said, they said, unless this man has actually done anything to my son, since he was not a registered offender, there was nothing they could do. Wow. That sent me into a tailspin and I relapsed. Yeah. I knew that wasn't the right answer, but I had lost everything. And remember, I didn't really in my mind, have God in my life to turn to. So when I relapsed, I knew that wasn't the right thing. I was on a binge for about three months, knew this wasn't good for my son. So I found a program that would take him in temporarily while I sort things out, perhaps going to a detox. I didn't know what I was going to do. Even though I had my 12-step group, It wasn't the same during COVID. There wasn't anybody's door I could physically go and knock on. So what I did was I ran. You know, fear has an acronym. You can either forget everything and run, Hmm. or you can face everything and rise. Wow. That's cool. I chose the first one. I ran. But again, God had a sense of humor. Um. I I was born and raised in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I was currently living in Phoenix for many years. So I didn't want to stay in in Arizona, didn't want to go home to New Mexico, didn't want to go to California. Enough said there. Sorry. (laughs) Didn't want to go to Vegas because that would be a whole nother matter of addiction. Didn't want to go to Colorado. It was too cold. Didn't want to move to Utah because it was full of Mormons. (laughs) Couldn't get through Texas to go to where I wanted to go, which was Atlanta. Mm -hmm. Didn't have enough gas money. So I said, hmm, what's going north? I don't know. Let's pick a north thing. Boom. Idaho. Let's see what Idaho's like. 
So I got up to the turnoff where it split to go to Twin Falls or Idaho Falls. Mm -hmm. And I decided to stay on the Idaho Falls road so that way I could turn in the U-Haul and make sure that obligation was satisfied. I ended up in Idaho Falls. And again, God had a hand in my life without me really recognizing it. I had found an apartment in Rexburg a week later. I had a job a week and a half later. Oh, well, I was detoxing. So he gave me the strength to do what I had to do to get my life back on track. But it was a lonely road. I was in a place I didn't know. I took off for the beyond. Little did I know I was moving to another college town full of Mormons. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, I, I got my apartment and... One day I was standing out on the balcony, and I saw these two, two, three men down below. And one of them looked like someone I used to know in Phoenix, a good man, good young man. So I called out to them. I said, hey, how's it going? They looked up at me and said, hi. And they said, we are missionaries for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Do you mind if we come up? Yeah, sure, why not? I know no one else around here. Come on up. <laughs> that was the day God really, really turned my life around. Yeah. They came up and spoke with me, shared some some of the gospel with me. Part of it I already knew thanks to my Christian upbringing. Some of it was new to me, and I was curious. So I started investigating the church. That one month that I was here while I was investigating The bishop, Relief Society person in the bishop, gave me the money to fly back to Phoenix, pick up my son and his belongings, and move them back here to Ruth Rexburg. Wow. That was so cool. Yeah. It was was unbelievably wonderful. The support and the outgoing. Such a blessing. I continued working. And then, let's see, this was back in... May of 21 that I moved here. But in October of 21, I was having some physical problems. My job sent me to therapy. And as a therapist worked with me, he made a suggestion that I might have fibromyalgia. Mm. Now, the road to determining fibromyalgia is long. It's basically... You do a bunch of tests this, you, and you rule out things. It's not this. It's not this. It's not this. It's not this. We still can't explain it. Boom, you've got fibromyalgia. That's the oh. short explanation. Interesting. They still don't know how it came to be, if it's hereditary or if it's environmental. It's not like the flu where I cough on you, you get it. They do know that. But they don't really know biologically how it happens. Mm. So it's a catch-all. And when I started doing the testing for fibromyalgia, that's when we discovered I have systemic rheumatoid arthritis. So I started treating for that. And it's a good thing that we caught it early. Um, Living in a high desert area, it was warm, and I never had to deal with aching bones and things like that until I moved to where the cold was. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But it it was... not as far along as it could have been. So we kind of caught it in the early stages. That's good. It is a constant autoimmune disease that you treat and you maintain. 
just like the disease of addiction. You can main, you can arrest it and you can maintain. While while we found out that I had arthritis, the tests continued, and we found out that I am having kidney issues as well. So it's not when in the middle of waiting to see if it is a kidney disease or if it's kidneys because of the medications that I've been on to help with the arthritis. So we're waiting for that. Gotcha. They did finally diagnose me with fibromyalgia. And it acts up in the wintertime or when it rains. And it's just this this persistent dull ache everywhere. Mm. Kind of like when you go to the gym and you're sore all over. Yeah. But every day when you get up, when you go to bed, as you're walking around or sitting, it's just always there, very chronic. So we've been working on that as well as following up on our mental health, mm-hmm. establishing with a primary doctor and a psych doctor, counseling um, arthritis, rheumatoid doctor, and uh, kidney doctor. So it's a lot Man, of maintenance and lot. upkeep. Yeah. Physical therapy still needs to be done. Yeah. And so while maintaining that, eventually I had applied for disability and they awarded the disability to me on the grounds of both mental and physical. One alone was not enough. Mm-hmm. But both of them combined, they said it was as long as I keep up all the different appointments that I that I live with, then it, I am disabled for now. Gotcha. So what helps you to like not let that like weigh you down? Because of the church and the people that I've met in my ward and the neighbors that I have. I have learned how to live as part of a community and have real lasting friendships, not acquaintances that you use. They have helped me establish with the medical community that I have. They support me emotionally. They support me physically. And for the beginning, it was also financial support as well until I could get up and going and, the, at, and at one point, did you want to get baptized into the church? Almost a year later. Okay. July 31st of last year was when I decided to get baptized. So it's been about a, a year and a half now. Wow. And it was a beautiful experience. I felt like I was coming home. I felt like I belonged. I felt like I'm actually worth it, despite everything that I've done and been through. I am worthy to be a child of God. So with the support of the church and my ward and the the people in Rexburg, I have begun to heal. This is a healing town. My son and the trauma that I put him through or that he lived with with me, lived through with me, we're healing here. And I. there's one thing that our 12-step says, never look at the coulda, shoulda, wouldas. Mm. If you look at the coulda, shoulda, wouldas, you get lost in your head. And you can't find your way out without help. So the way to get out of that is to reach out and pick up that 10,000-pound bone 
and talk to someone who's been there, done that. And that just, you know, it, it's like venting. You vent to someone you know, and the burden is, is shared and lifted. So by making friends in the ward and becoming part of a community, I'm able to call on them when I need them. And I'm also of service so that when they need help, I can be there for them as well. Because it's a two-way street. It's not all take, take, take. It's give and take and take and give. And as I've been building strength here, emotional resilience, I have finally fulfilled one of my bucket lists, which is to go back to college. That's awesome. I currently attend BYUI. Even though I am probably your parents' age, <laughs> everybody looks so young. Yeah. Oh, everybody <laughs> looks so young. And it's been exciting, challenging, scary, and worth it. Yeah. And what I want to do is I want to go out and advocate for those who have dual diagnosis or co-occurring disorders be that of autoimmune diseases, be that of mental health or addiction, anything and everything that needs that. We have, I'm going to throw some numbers at you, we have in the U.S. about 80% mental health rehab centers. We have about 60% drug and alcohol rehabs, but we have 20% dual diagnosis rehabs. And yet so many in the world who have both mental health and addiction need that that discipline from both sides. Then when you throw in the physical health as well that comes with that, you really need a comprehensive type of a rehab to get back up on your feet and a sense of community. And that's what I want to advocate for. That's what I want to create is a better standard of living for everyone. And I believe that this is what God has led me to do. I've always wanted to reach out and help. I've always been the kind of person that I've never told anybody this, but blah, 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 blah. <laughs> All my life, you know, I've never told anyone this, but blah, 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 blah. So I've been like a natural receiver and listener. And so I want to help those, reach out and help those who have been through what I've been through. Yeah. And Give them hope that, yes, your life can be turned around. Your life can, can get back on track. When you have God in your life, he will move mountains for you. And that is what he's done for me. He had a sense of humor sending me here to Rexburg, <laughs> but he had a plan as well. And that plan I hope to see fulfilled. When I graduate, I want to go on and build these rehabs and get out there and make sure the community knows because with the suffering of mental illness and addiction, it is all about shame and you cannot get rid of shame unless you have empathy, not sympathy, mm-hmm. empathy. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, the scriptures say that we need to mourn with those that mourn and, mm-hmm. and comfort those that stand in need of comfort. So yes. that's empathy, you know? That's, yes, Yes. And the more that we share about it, the more that we make common the knowledge of what people are and go through with all these different situations, 
the more knowledge they have, the more they can understand and then assist and be part of the person's life and be a pillar of strength here on earth for them while God fills us to be that pillar of strength. I love that. Um, I, it sounds like you've taken, you know, some painful experiences and been able to do some real good with it. So I think you're on a great path. Thank you. Um, my last question for you is, how has your time at BYU-Idaho helped you draw closer to Christ? It's really opened my eyes to the scriptures. Taking some religious classes is, is delving into what I didn't know before. And the fact that we pray before every session, every class, that's really uplifting to me. It brings home the message that God is there for you. All we have to do is reach out. The seeing the, the community and where we reach out to each other and we help each other learn, that's unlike a lot of places out there in the world. Yeah, it's true. Thank you so much. It's been great talking to you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the BYU-Idaho Disciple Journeys podcast, a production of BYU-Idaho Radio. A special thanks to our guest, Paula Dillingham. Our theme music is by Sophia Pack, and I'm Isabella Salazar. You can listen to more episodes on your favorite podcast app or find us online at byui.edu radio.